0: Well, in uh, 1884, and, and Tanya, correct me if I'm wrong, we've talked about this. Uh, disgusted with hedonistic amusements like saloon and brothels, Lamarcus Adna Thompson invented the first roller coaster. It was the switchback. Gravity Railway at Coney Island is that correct Tanya That's if you nice. if you don't know there you know you meet people and then you find out just interesting stuff about those people and one of the things is Tanya likes Terminator movies, which uh, we have in common. And the other thing is uh, she loves roller coasters. She's a roller coaster junkie. So I called her up to make sure that that was a correct fact. And she said, you are correct, Pastor Skimbri." And I was like, all right. The coaster went, you know how fast the coaster went, Tanya? It went six miles an hour. <laughs> and so we're talking about just buckling up, uh, you know, screaming. And it was, it was just powered by gravity and it kind of went down. Uh, but the roller coaster is described often in life to, to talk about the ups and downs of life, the valleys and hills, right? Like 2020, you've, you've often heard, you know, 2020, man, that was an emotional roller coaster of a year. There there was a lot of ups, but there were a lot of downs. We kept getting hit in the face with different things. And in life, it's true. There are hills and valleys. There are hills and valleys. You're going to go through good times, and you're going to be joyful, and you're going to be successful. Then you're going to go through times that are very hard and very difficult. And nobody knows that more than the subject of our study that we've been doing the past few weeks, and that's Joseph. Joseph. And so let's just recount the life of Joseph real quick here, right? Joseph was favored by his father among his other brothers, and he was given an ornate robe, a special coat to signify that. So Joseph, uh, he he received favor, and then his brothers beat him (laughs) and and stripped him of that coat, threw him into a cistern, lied to their father, and sold him into slavery. And they brought him to Egypt, and Joseph is a slave in Egypt, but we're told that God is with Joseph, kind of going back up again. We're we're told that everything that Joseph touches succeeds, and and Joseph is put in charge of all of Potiphar, his owner's estate. Well, then Potiphar's wife gets eyes for Joseph, falsely accuses him of of sexual advancement, and and is sent to prison on trumped-up charges, And Joseph is now rotting away in prison. And we're going to even see more of this roller coaster in our passage today. But I really want to answer one question today. Here's the one question I want to answer. If life is full of highs and lows, how do we handle the valleys well? How do we handle the valleys well? And most of us coming into this room are in some sort of valley. Like life isn't working out in some way. Maybe you're experiencing loss. Maybe you're not where you want to be in in terms of your job. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. But we all know when I say valley what I mean. A situation we don't want to be in. A situation that is painful. We wake up and there's a pit in our stomach because we have to face this situation day in and day out. How do we handle the valleys well? Turn to Genesis 39. Turn to Genesis 39. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you can just click uh, on on your internet browser, Genesis 39, uh, and and we're going to follow along. It's always better to follow along with the Bible. This is Central Bible Church, not Central What Larry Thinks Church, and and so we're going to be preaching from God's Word today, but this is at the end of chapter 39. He's been falsely accused. Go to verse 20, chapter 39, Genesis 39, verse 20. Genesis 39, verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. Underline that again. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Have you ever heard of that? A prisoner getting put in charge of the entire prison? Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with them. The, the leader of the prison could kick his feet up. He could drink some coffee, read the newspaper because Joseph was taking care of business. And whatever Joseph did the Lord made it succeed. Whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it succeed. So let's just recap. After being accused by Potiphar's wife, Joseph is put in prison. And and we're told that God is present with Joseph in the prison. Like before, God is working in and through Joseph. Like before, Joseph is put in charge of much. Like before, Joseph succeeds. And so the language here is very similar, remarkably similar to the section above when Joseph is sold into slavery and lives under Potiphar's rule. We see God's hand on Joseph. We see God present with Joseph. It's very much the same language. And implicit in this account is not just the idea that God is present with Joseph. We talked a lot about that last week, right? God is present with Joseph, But implicit in this account is that Joseph is also committed to the Lord. Joseph is is pictured in this narrative as faithful, as committed to the Lord. Somebody who puts one foot in front of the other when things are going poorly. Joseph is somebody who faithfully persists. That's kind of the first part of our big idea this morning, or this afternoon. Joseph faithfully persists. Now there's a play based off of Joseph's life by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Does anybody know what that play is called? Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And in that play, the narrator of the play comes to Joseph who's in prison and says, hey, everything I've read, the rest, of the book, everything is going to work out fine. But the problem is, is Joseph didn't have a narrator like that in his life. There wasn't somebody like that. He had the promises of God. He knew that God was with him, but he didn't know when his imprisonment would end. He didn't know when it would stop. Yet he put one foot in front of the other. He faithfully persists. I mean, our our lives are like a book, Our lives are being written as we live them out. And if you're in a pit, you don't know if or when you're going to get out of that valley. And here's the problem is a lot of times, you know, hills are fun. And it's like some weird time conundrum thing where when we're we're in the palace and things are going good, time flies by, right? But when you're in the pit, time seems to slow down. He seems to feel like you're in that pit forever. But God wants us to say, like Joseph, even though things hurt right now, even though my circumstances are difficult at best, I'm going to do the things that God wants me to do today. I'm going to serve others. I'm going to love my kids, even though my life isn't working out perfectly or the way I want right now. I'm going to be faithful today. I'm going to wake up in the morning and do what God wants me to do. I'm going to share the gospel with people. I'm going to serve people where I'm going to be faithful in my work. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to care for others. I'm going to serve others. I'm going to use my gifts. And I'm going to pray, God, help me day in and day out because I cannot put one foot in front of the other without you working in my life without me realizing that you're present with me. God, like Joseph, helped me to faithfully persist. Persist, persevere. Or as Dory from the movie Finding Nemo says, do you know what he said? You know what Dory says, Elizabeth? Just keep, just keep keep swimming. Swimming Yeah, just say, same thing. Fish go, they swim, same thing. Just keep swimming. I, I, I'm a 40 year old man, and I literally tell myself, "Just keep swimming. <laughs> Just keep going." Or if you don't like Dory, you're like, "Oh, Pixar!" Blah, blah. Like you're like your Dory. Uh, you can say, or Paul, you know, the author of the hit book uh, Romans <laughs> from the best selling book, The Bible. He says, "Do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. Faithfully persist." faithfully persists, faithfully persists because God is doing something. God is doing something. Look at, look at chapter 40, the next chapter. Look at verse one. Some time after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. Now we're not told what the offense was, but the implication here is that they're guilty. Joseph is innocent, but these guys are guilty. And we were kind of joking around the other day as pastors that, like, what does a cup baker do to offend the king? And we were like, we kind of did some study, and it was because he made oatmeal raisin cookies. <laughs> and nobody likes oatmeal raisin cookies. Like, does anybody like oatmeal raisin cookies? Yeah. That's offensive <laughs> <laughs> to do that. Uh, we don't know that. And he, so... Anyways, and Pharaoh was angry with two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended to them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we've had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So after a season of incarceration, so time has passed. We don't know how much time. We'll talk about it here in a second, but... A good amount of time has passed and two new prisoners enter the prison population. I believe the slang term is fresh meat. And the cupbearer and the baker, again, they've committed some sort of sin against Egypt. It appears that Joseph is innocent. These guys are guilty. And we kind of know who these guys were. Uh, A cupbearer was somebody who tasted wine and opened bottles for the Pharaoh. And so he was... Uh, he, he would often taste wine. That They say he would often taste the wine to make sure it wasn't poisonous. So real fun job there. And uh, they would. But he, would, he also wielded a lot of political power and influence because he was always right next to Pharaoh. At least for every meal he was with Pharaoh. So he had the king's ear. Now a baker, we don't really know what the baker's role was. No pun intended. His role... Nobody, (laughs) (laughs) I tried that joke this morning and I got booed out of the church. We don't know what his role was, but Joseph is placed in charge of these two prisoners and some time passes. And one night the cupbearer and the baker, they each have a dream and and for some reason they're troubled. And Joseph sees this and asks, he goes, what's wrong? And they tell Joseph about their dreams and, and they're upset. Now remember at this time, Dreams are, are, were understood as revelations from God. So think about it. You're, you're a high-ranking official. You're, per, you're put in prison. You have a dream. You don't really understand that dream. You, you know it's a message from God. So it probably has to do with their future. Am I going to get out of this prison? Am I going to rot in this prison? Is the king going to murder me, kill me, execute me? They probably were thinking, this dream is connected to my future. Here's the problem. We, we don't have an interpreter. We don't have somebody to interpret these dreams. And so during this time, if, if somebody had a, 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 a dream in Egypt and they felt it was God talking to them, they would go to like a magician, an interpreter, and they would tell that guy their dreams. And that guy would then go away and he'd have, he had a, a dream commentary or a dream book that helped people understand dream. And he would do all this study and all this work. And he would come back to that person and be like, this is what your dream means. And so in prison, they don't have somebody to do that. They don't have that luxury. But Joseph says, I don't need a stinking dream book. I have God. And he is more than capable of interpreting these dreams. Look at verse nine. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. Underline that term, lift up your head. It's important. And restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, my people, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me in the pit. And so Joseph interprets the dreams and he says, in three days, your head is going to be lifted up and you are gonna be restored back to your position and you're gonna be restored back to Pharaoh's good graces. So things are going to go well for you. And then he says, I scratched your back Now, can you scratch my back? When you get out of here, can you please tell the Pharaoh that I don't belong here? I was kidnapped and brought to Egypt. I was falsely accused and put in prison. Remember me. Please remember me when you're restored. You're gonna get out of here. Remember me, help me out. Which kind of gives us a little insight. It's okay to not want to be in the pit you're in. It's okay to go to God. This is hard. This is challenging. That's human. God understands that. But we're meant to have a little hope here as readers. We're meant to be like, man, this is Joseph's way out. I mean, Joseph has been uh, he suffered and suffered and suffered like there's a little light at the end of this tunnel. Maybe God's going to restore him here soon. And so that's the cupbearer's dream. And, and, and you got to be there. And like the chief baker, you had to be there. He probably was like, all right, that sounds great. What about me? What about me? So let's read on. Look at verse 16. 40:16. 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. And there were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of it. The basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. and three days, the Pharaoh will lift up your head. There's that term again. But it says from you. He'll hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. So, in three days, cupbearer, I'm sorry, but your head's gonna be lifted up. And he had to be like, really? Me too? Oh, and lifted up to be cut off, and then the Pharaoh is going to impale you on a stick. That's what I meant to be hung at that day and age, and then the birds are gonna eat your flesh. So at this point, you're probably like, I hope this Joseph isn't very good at interpreting (laughs) dreams. I, I... Please be a terrible dream interpreter. Let that not happen to me. Let's see what happens. Verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted them. Joseph's words informed by God come to fruition, which is good news for Joseph and the cupbearer, bad news for the baker, but Joseph's way out has survived. There's hope here. There's some fleeting hope that, that Joseph is going to be restored. I mean, this guy just needs to remember me. I mean, imagine going to prison, having a dream, somebody interpreting that dream, and then saying to you, you're going to get out. I mean, remember me. Wouldn't you think he would get out and be like, I, I remember him. Like it's, It seems like it's the next logical step. Why would this guy forget this miraculous thing that has happened? I mean, this probably didn't happen every day of his life. So, so Joseph's going to get out. But look at verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. He languished in prison. We're told in the next chapter, he rotted away in prison for two years after this. So for two years, Joseph probably woke up every morning and say, is this the day my suffering stops? Am I going to be remembered today? This this has to be the day, man. I mean, it can't go on. And for over 700 days, he probably thought that. Is this going to be the day? Is this going to be the day? And every night he went to bed, he probably thought to himself, I have been forgotten. I have been forgotten. And the reality is, is Joseph had been forgotten by the cupbearer, but not by God not by God. Let's take a step back here for a second from this this passage. Joseph has been (laughs) beaten by his brothers. He has been falsely accused, sent to prison, and now he has performed this this miracle. God through him has performed this miracle, interpreting these dreams, and now he has been forgotten. This has been a 13-year period. He was 17. He was 17 when he was kidnapped, when he was sold into slavery. He was 30 when he got out of prison. So for 13 years, Joseph lived in the pit. For 13 years, Joseph's life has been a roller coaster. There's been some little bumps up, and wee, things are great. But for the most part, it's been a lot of lows. A lot of lows. And we know that God has been with Joseph since this junk started. We talked about that last week. We know that he's been working in and through Joseph as Joseph has been faithful to him. But God has also been doing something. God has been directing all of these events in Joseph's life to accomplish a greater purpose. One of the main characteristics of God that we're going to start unpacking over the next few weeks is the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty. It's a very fancy term. And it has a lot of nuance. There's a lot of kind of nuances and understandings of sovereignty. But but put simply, God is Lord of all and God is in charge. Nothing surprises God. God is in charge control. And he is moving creation and using good and evil <laughs> with a certain end and specific purposes in mind. And so next week we're going to find out that a th- a plague threatens all of humanity. All of the known world, all of Egypt. And God's people, Israel, are threatened by that. You know, God's people, if God doesn't move or act during this plague, they will die. They will starve. There will be a famine. the, The line of Jesus, the seed of Abraham, will not continue, and God's people will be finished. Yet we see God using every valley of Joseph's life, every valley he wanders through from the pit, to Potiphar's house, to prison, to get him closer to the Pharaoh. I'm gonna get you ever so closer to the Pharaoh so that you can keep God's people safe. We see a lot of pain in Joseph's life, but God has been sovereignly positioning Joseph every year of his life to be closer to the Pharaoh. God has been also using the pit to mature Joseph. Remember, Joseph had been in the pit for 13 years. Joseph, when he gets out of the pit, he's going to rule right under Pharaoh, all of Egypt. He's gonna be responsible for saving all of Egypt, including God's people from this famine. Do you think Joseph was ready for that at 17 years old? I mean, most 17 years old scare me with a car. Are we gonna let them run a country no offense, but I don't think that's a good idea. But for 13 years, I believe God matured Joseph. He forged Joseph in, in, a, uh, in the fire, and he brought about um, leadership and administrative skills in that. I mean, think about it. He's, he's sold him to slavery. And then he's put in charge of Potiphar's estate. Then he's put in charge of, of a prison, and he. He does everything that was done to do there. And now he's, been, uh, now he's been put in a position to lead at a greater level. I mean, God matures us and prepares us in those seasons. And we talked about faithfully persisting earlier, right? We talked about faithfully persisting in the valley. It's a lot easier to faithfully persist because we know that God is working in those valleys, it may be to position you and or to prepare you to make a greater impact for his kingdom purposes down the road. I am 40 in three weeks. I, I turned 40 in three weeks. I remember when my dad turned 40 and just thinking, man, you're, you're old now. But I turned 40 and when I hit a valley today, I've had some life experience. When I hit a valley today, it's easier to persevere Because I can look back and see God using painful seasons to position me and prepare me for something greater later. When I was young, I used to freak out (laughs) in the face of suffering. But now I handle that a little better because I've seen God's faithfulness in in positioning me. For for example, 10 years ago, I graduated from seminary at Denver Seminary. And I graduated $30,000, about $30,000 in debt and and burnt out. So I was burnt out. We were broke. And so we moved back to KC. Go Chiefs. I'm from KC. And uh, I took a job because it paid okay. It was close to home. I had debt to deal with. You know, all the reasons you want to serve at a church, right? You just feel that calling. And... uh, We buy a $90,000 home in Greenwood, Missouri. And it was a nice home. You can't get a shed for $90,000 right now. But we live in Greenwood, Missouri, and we settle in and we're excited about this, this new ministry, somewhat excited. But it became clear rather quickly that this wasn't a good fit, this church and I. It was a dysfunctional environment. And I was brash, impatient, and young. And six months in, I was asked to resign, which is the nicest way of saying you're fired. Uh, But can you please resign because it's not working out? And I was asked to resign in in a way that really hurt me and really hurt my family. It was just done poorly. It was done in bad taste. And I became bitter. I became angry and resentful and insecure. And if I'm honest, I became depressed. Not wanting to jump back into ministry, I took a job as an internal salesperson selling conduit fittings. Now, do you guys know what conduit fittings are? Neither did I. But I sold them and I I did a decent job, but it was horrible. It was one of the worst seasons of my life. I was miserable. It's one of the lowest points of my life. And I daily asked God, what in the world are you doing with me? Why am I here? Like what's going on? And, and I'd, I'd, I'd be like, man, God, you've, you've prepared me and you've gifted me. And now I'm sitting on the sidelines like a stinking failure while all these other friends from seminary are out there thriving and leading ministries. And I'm selling conduit fittings in a cubicle ready just to, to, to cry, man. And so each day I would wake up for months and breaking down. Just just crying on my way to work because I wasn't where God wanted me to be. And so after six to seven months, there was some healing on my part and an openness to ministry emerged. So I started to put out my resume. And I'll talk about that season here in a little bit. But I started to put out my resume. And there's a church in Castle Rock, Colorado called Creekside Bible Church. And, and uh, you know, weird lead pastor, weird guy, <laughs> uh, really weird. Uh, and they said, uh, man, we, we'd like to look at you. And so we began that courting process. Like when you get, become a pastor, it's not like, hey, you're qualified, take the job. You want to make sure, like, you're getting married kind of. Like you want to make sure it relationally fits. And I, I learned that lesson before, right? Don't just take a position to take a position. And everything looked great. We were excited, but there was one problem. We had $30,000 of debt and we couldn't pay off that debt and live in stinking Castle Rock at the same time. We just couldn't financially do it. We couldn't get in and stay here. Well, our little $90,000 home sold for $120,000. And our debt was erased. All of my school debt was gone. So I said, buy seminary. Not going to think about you much more. And I was able to start... Fresh, And we moved out to Castle Rock and we entered into one of the most sweet seasons in ministry, doing ministry in the way I've always envisioned, in community, using a gift. Now we're stinking plant in the church, things I've dreamed about for years. I'm getting to do right now. I'm getting to do right now. And I can look back and see God's hand sovereignly moving things around in that valley even our finances to get us to this place, to get us here at this church doing ministry that I love with people that I love. God sovereignly works to position us. He took me from burnt out and burdened by debt to free and excited about ministry. But I had to go through a 12 month valley to get there. And it won't be the last valley I go through. It won't. I'm going to hit another pit at some point. Things aren't always ideal. Things aren't perfect for my family. They're definitely not perfect for me. But knowing that God has taken Joseph through it, knowing that God has taken me through it, helps me to persist today. Faithfully persist, because God is working to position us, but he's also working to prepare us. That's what I want to end on. Turn to Romans 8.28. Real quick, Romans 8.28. If you don't know where that's at, that's okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You guys know this passage. This passage is often quoted when things aren't going great in your life sometimes somewhat uh, in a trite manner you know it's quoted so much it's kind of lost its meaning i also don't think we fully understand what this passage is saying look at romans 8:28 and we know that those who love god so th- those who are children of god all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose so the idea here is as god's children He is working out every situation, every pit and valley for our good. Now, sometimes the way we we share that verse is we say, hey, I know you're going through a tough time now financially, but God's going to give you mountains of money later. Hey, I know that you're not super successful now, but oh, you're going to be CEO one day. That's, that's, That's not the good here. The good isn't comfort. The good isn't more money. There's a greater good that God is working all things for. And it's in verse 29. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God is using all things, including pain, including our pits and our valleys, to make us more like Jesus. When you faithfully wait, God is maturing you God is growing you, sharpening your gifts, ridding you of self-reliance and preparing you to be like Jesus for God's good purposes. I know that in my season of sales, God humbled me greatly. Before out of seminary, I was like, man, I am God's gift to God. (laughs) Like He should look at me and be like, man, I'm so glad I created you. I don't know what I would do without you. But through that process, I realized that God doesn't need me. He doesn't need me to accomplish His will. He chooses to use me, and that's amazing. But He's not like, what am I going to do without Larry? God, God took my, my brashness down a notch. I would just, and some of you are like, you're down a notch now? <laughs> like, you put your foot in your mouth all the time, and that's true. But it used to be worse, it used to be way worse. And and I choose my words, or I try to choose my words more carefully or apologize quickly when I do speak out of turn. He made me rely on him more. He increased my faith. He gave me greater patience and empathy. Again, some of you are like, you had less patience before? Um, I mean, it's yes, I was way less patient. I'm still not very patient, but God has worked some great things in me to make me patient and more sympathetic with people, especially if they're going through the valley. My ministry became healthier because I was learning to put on Christ's likeness in that season selling conduit fittings. I had time to reflect. I had time to think. And it helps me faithfully persist today when I know that no valley is wasted because God is constantly working to shape me, to mold me and teach me something so that I can follow and serve him better. Faithfully persists. God is at work to position you and prepare you. Now many of you know I'm, I'm coaching football at DC right now and uh, my jobs are very similar at DC and, and here at the church. I mean we do a lot, there's a lot less sweating. You guys smell way better. Sid is, so Sid's a manager for the football team. They smell terrible, Uh, and so you guys smell a lot better. She's like, yep. She's had to sit in that that locker room. Uh, But every day when we run, I have the same conversation with at least 15 kids. We're running, it's hot, they're sweating, and they're like, I can't do it, coach. I can't do it. My legs are in there. And like, I just, I can't, I can't, I can barely walk and and it hurts. And I don't know if I can keep going. And this is impossible. And I'm continually saying, you can do it. Like, you can do it. Put one foot in front of the other. That's all you need to worry about. You got this. You got this. The end is coming. It's near. and, And the end will be worth it. What you're going through right now it's for your betterment later. I know it hurts, but push through. Put one step in front of the other. And I put on the same hat as a pastor. I have people come to me and say, man, I can't do it. Life is too hard right now. I want to give up. I just want to fold in on myself, and I just don't want to care about any of this stuff anymore, so I'm just, I'm just quitting. And I say, faithfully persist. Keep going. You got this. Don't give up. I know it's hard, but that voice telling you to stop, that isn't God. That isn't God. God is telling you consistently throughout Scripture to keep your eye on the prize that is Jesus Christ and persevere. Keep going. Keep working, push through. God is working in and through this situation because he loves you and has something better for you. So with his help, put one foot in front of the other. Let's pray.